everybody welcome to the 241st edition of the holy backboard podcast i'm dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here in uh, beaverton just cooked some tacos for dinner so i'm energized and ready to go for this uh for this podcast you had tex-mex i had tex-mex olga made some fire quesadillas so i feel energized and enthused and even more so with our Special guest, very special guest, because we do not usually have guests on the Holy Backboard, but with it being the playoffs, it being our preview episode, we had to bring in another Blazer maniac and one of our favorites, Tara Biggs, better known as Team Mom or TCC, is it TCB Biggs on Twitter? T-C-B-B-I-G-G-S, yep. There we, yes, but if you are in the Blazer fandom, you know of Tara uh, does a lot of wonderful things in the community. So let me be the first to thank you for joining us on this episode. And oh my gosh. Oh, thank you for having me. Hi, Sage. I talked over you already. I'll try to be good about that. I had to ask, what did you have for dinner tonight? Oh, I was hoping you would not because I'm so embarrassed compared to what you guys had. Um, I had a bag of, well, at least they were gourmet Cheeto- Cheetos. <laughs> <laughs> I was really tired after work and I <laughs> wasn't feeling like cooking, but in my defense, I made a really delicious batch of chicken soup for lunch. Um, but yeah, I did, uh, I did not, uh, pull out all the stops and I literally had a bag of Cheetos <laughs> like, and not like a little bag, like a pretty good size bag. <laughs> We're not here to dinner shame you. So. We don't judge on the holy backboard. We encourage. <laughs> Well, I'm super excited to be here talking to y'all guys. I'm really, I've been looking forward to this um, since you asked me and um, I am a regular listener to the show and I know you guys have already talked a lot about Denver, so I hope that I can bring something to it, but you guys have already talked a lot about it. I learned a lot from it. It was great. Well, absolutely. I I think if, if you don't know, you know, if you, if you're living under a rock, the Blazers, I think got the most favorable matchup they could have asked for in the first round The cards fell as they did, and they landed in Portland's favor. We drew the Denver Nuggets, uh, a team that has started out slow this year, picked up steam, has the likely MVP in Nikola Jokic, but is banged up. Uh, No Jamal Murray. Uh, It is looking like, from what all I have read and heard, that Will Barton may not be ready for this series, which would just be a huge blow for the Nuggets, we all remember Will had a really strong series against the Blazers in 2019, specifically starting in game four and all the way through game seven. PJ Dozier is also uh, a question mark as well. So this series, I'm extremely giddy for. And maybe you guys can talk me out of my optimism because every time I try to analyze the series, or uh, I think about it, I come to the same conclusion that I feel really good not only about how Portland is playing, winners of 10 of their last 12 games, but they're healthy and the opponent that they drew. So how are both of you feeling heading into this series? Just the knee-jerk reaction that you felt as soon as you knew that those scores fell as they did and Portland drew the Denver Nuggets. Uh, Tara, I'll kick it over to you first. 
Well, my first thought was, okay, Denver again. <laughs> it feels like for the last like two or three years, or maybe even more than that, we're always like just about ready to play Denver. And those Denver games are so often very important. So they, uh, we've been here a lot. So when I, you know, knew that the Blazers were going to play Denver, I would like you, I was feeling like, well, this is a chance. This, this is as good a chance as any, um, if not better than, uh, you know, against the other teams that the Blazers have. And um, it's unfortunate that Denver is banged up. Um, I do think that the Blazers have a lot better team than they did last year. So even if the Nuggets weren't that banged up, I still think the Blazers would have a good chance. But yeah, I mean, I, I can't talk you off the edge of anything because I'm like right there with you, <laughs> like in a good way. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the Blazers got the best possible matchup in the playoffs. And I mean, our guards are just going to, we, we have guards that can attack in waves and we haven't had that before. So we've got Dame doing his MVP superhero thing, CJ McCollum playing some really good ball and then Norman Powell attacking off the dribble. And the Nuggets just don't have anybody that can stop any of them. So all three could potentially run free and uh, have some great series for themselves. Some quick factoids to get out the way. The Blazers are the sixth seed all time in their franchise history, 0-9 as the sixth seed. So that would be a good uh, trend to buck. Uh, they will be without home court advantage uh, all time. They are 8-24 without 8-23 without home court advantage. 8-24 if you include the bubble last year, which I don't. We were the lower seed, but there was no home court advantage, but still. One out of about a 25% uh, winning percentage. And I, I don't really put too much uh, emphasis on those numbers. The, those teams are completely different than who we have here, but kind of being a, a Blazers his, historical nerd, I, I like to go back and, and just see what does history tell us? Would this be something that we can accomplish? I know when we played the Clippers in 2016 and, and got down 0-2, Everyone's like, oh, the sky's falling. Well, we did it in 1977, came back 0-2 to win a series as a lower seed. We did it then. So things can happen. And that's kind of the beauty of a seven-game series in the postseason. Um, we, we already mentioned Denver is without Jamal Murray. They are 13-5 and without him. So they held the fort down and 9-5 and without Will Barton. So Sage... With those two players out and PJ Dozier, if you throw him in there as well, they've really relied on Campazzo and Austin Rivers. How have the, the usage rates really shifted pre and um, post Jamal Murray injury with those two guards? Thank you for setting me up with such a great question that I answered via text. And let me look that up. So with Jamal Murray on the floor, uh, Porter has a 22.2% usage. Aaron, uh, Aaron Gordon has uh, a 169 And without him on the floor, MPJ has a 24 and Aaron Gordon has a 17. So they didn't take Jamal Murray's usage. Who has is uh, Compazzo and Austin Rivers, someone who I've kind of wanted on this team for a few years now. So, of course, those two have a pretty high floor, but they don't have that ceiling that Jamal Murray has in a, in a quarter where he can score 20 points easy and you, you don't 
you can't really stop it. So the floor is still very much high with the uh, the newer guards on the team. They just don't have that ceiling. And in the playoffs, you need the ceiling to win games. You can't you can't win games with your second best player having a mediocre performance. And even though uh, Campazzo is north of 30 years old as a rookie, his play has improved since Jamal Murray went down. Uh, in the month of April, you're looking at eight points. He increased that to nine and a half in May. He shot nearly 44% from three uh, in the month of April. It did dip back down to earth 34% in May, but he's still capable of hitting open jumpers. We saw that in that first Denver game in Portland. I believe it was the first game that Dame decided to come back. Uh, it was a one-point loss, um, but he was absolutely nails when he was left open open from three. He's also increased his assists, uh, four, four and a half in April. Now he's near six in, in the month of May. So he's played in a lot of big games overseas. I, I don't know if you can necessarily say that, that experience is going to be um, the X factor for him, but if we're looking at an X factor for Denver, uh, who do you both envision being Denver's X factor? Well, when you were running off numbers at the, at the top, I kept uh, waiting for you to say the one that scares me mo- the most, which is 6'10", which is what Michael Porter Jr. is. And I I think that he has the potential to, uh, you know, he we all know that he's a terrific shooter and he can get hot at any time. And um, but not just that you know, he's a head taller than Norman Powell. So right before this recording, I went on and I was watching like as much of Norman Powell on, um, on uh, Michael Porter Jr. as I could. And he hasn't done like a terrible job. Like, I mean, I I would never say that anybody did a terrible job, but for somebody who's so significantly smaller, like he was, there were box outs, like he was boxing him out. Like he was, he was playing him uh, pretty aggressively. So, it's just that, you know, real hard to get a hand in his face when he's that small. But I do think that he can uh, make him uncomfortable. So I think that just like straight up Michael Porter Jr. shooting. I also know that uh, Composo has a reputation of being a total pest and just like super annoying. So that could either... I think it's likely going to be a good thing for Damian Lillard, but over across the seven game series, it, there could be a couple games where it really gets to him just because like somebody who's that tenaciously annoying ends up on pretty annoying. <laughs> so those two would be, I guess my, um, th- the people who I think might be the X factors for the uh, nuggets. Yeah. And Composo might be one of the best passers in the league. I know, I know Dustin talked about his assist per game rising with the uh, more responsibility on the floor. But he's a really, really good and fun passer. I mean, it's got to be Michael Porter Jr. is the uh, the secondary person that scares the living pants off you because Tara said it. He can shoot. That's where our defense struggles is we can, we can focus on that main guy pretty well, but that secondary player, and especially if that person's a shooter, that's frightening for, for our trailblazers because we're – We've never really done well against a, a good, a t- good tall secondary shooter. What would you guys do to try to keep the ball from him? Like I, I, whenever there's somebody who, you know, is a really good shooter, sometimes the Blazers will come in and go, okay, 
you know, shooter X isn't going to get the ball. And then it's like some other person who has a career night. So obviously they do have the ability to plan to not let their shooter get the ball. So like, what are some ways that the Blazers think you think could, or do you think that the Blazers might try to just like keep the ball out of his hands? I mean, that's, that's a great question. And so it kind of ties into to the X factor. So Tara, you you stole mine. I was going to say Michael Porter Jr. as well. His height, we all he, has, said it. he has superstar potential. He has the ability to explode on any given night. Pivoting from MPJ, since you both uh, correctly uh, stated him, I, I think it's Denver's three-point shooting from other players not named Jokic or Porter Jr. We, we saw in the Oklahoma, seri- Oklahoma City series in 2019 Portland was able to do what they wanted defensively on Russell Westbrook. And that was play off of him and help when he came into the paint because their shooters would not hit from outside. We could see a similar type of, of defensive, you know, efficiency for the Blazers. If they are able to load up on Jokic, load up on Porter, uh, double blitz, trap hedge, play aggressive on defense. If guys like Campazzo and rivers and Millsap aren't making their open shots. So that's, it's over the seven game series. It's kind of a, a give and take. You, you try a, you try a couple of things, and you see what sticks best. And so, you know, maybe they come out and they just let Norman play him pretty aggressive because if Norman gets in foul trouble, you still have Derek Jones Jr. You still have Nasir Little. You still even have Robert Covington that you could throw on on Porter Jr. So Portland has a plethora of, of wing defenders, which we haven't had since since 2019, which is a, a really nice predicament to to be in. If that doesn't work and he gets cooking, then then you probably look to deny. And that, that's where Denver becomes really difficult to beat because then you're leaving Jokic on the island. And as good as Nurk is, Jokic is the league MVP. So that's why so much rides on Porter Jr. I would probably focus on Jokic first, then MPJ. And I, I would make MPJ hit tough shots. So if he's going to do what LaMarcus did against Houston in those first two games – there's nothing you can do. You, you tip your hat and say, you know, congratulations, you're, you're beating us on this night. But I, if it gets to that point, then maybe you send the double. If not, like Terry Stotts is kind of really going to have to play a little bit of uh, chess versus checkers with Mike Malone and throw them different looks. Maybe you, you double one time down the floor, then you don't. Um, and a player like as, as good as Porter Jr. is so good that sometimes good offense beats good defense. But I, I would like to see Portland mix their mix their defensive sets against the two Denver stars and kind of keep them on their heels and just make them uncomfortable. I think that the Denver Nuggets have two of the more easy people to uh, double off of. I mean, we, we now know how fast you, you can send that double on a touch on a post shooter. Just think of angles on the court and it, it's a lot easier than doubling someone on the perimeter. So if 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 Joker's going off, you can send that quick double and help off the helper and and play good defense with Michael Porter. I think a, a thing that Robert and Norm do so well is dig in the paint and uh, try and strip the ball. If Porter Jr. is on fire, you can't afford to leave him open to do the the dig defensively. So I would. Uh, you have to be uh, able to adjust what you're doing at a given time. So if, if Joker's going off in the paint, send the double. If if Porter Jr. is doing his thing in the perimeter, you can't leave him and make every shot a contested shot where you have to shoot over a player and not 
you know, give him that space that he he wants in uh, uh, spot up opportunities. So same question, but for Portland, who is Portland's X factor that if after this series, we're looking back, Portland wins because this player brought it. Well, I don't know if I would call him the X factor, but the person that I'm really anxious to see what he brings and I think could be a a really huge contribution is Norman Powell. Damn it. Um, oh, well, <laughs> we should have planned beforehand. But I mean, that's the obvious answer, right? Like he's the champion, right? He's mm-hmm. he's the one who's been there. Um, but just like and also some of the the little things. I mean, we talked about uh, you know, even though he's so much significantly smaller than what who's probably going to be his main defensive uh, matchup, he's a smart player and he's crafty, but on offense, he gets to the line. And when was the last time Damien has somebody besides like a center who could pretty regularly get to the line and like, you know, even CJ doesn't get to the line that much. He's, you know, inched it up there a little bit here and there and in the playoffs, maybe he'll uh, increase it, but Norman regularly gets to the line. And you know, reg- regularly takes it to the hoop. So he, uh, I think, has the potential to you know be disruptive and throw Denver off and out of their rotations. And I think that's going to be the key to to, uh, to beating Denver because even though you know they've had some deep playoff runs and went a lot farther than the Blazers did last year, some of the personnel is different we've talked about who they're missing and i just think that the blazers uh with their combined experience as a unit with somebody who like carmelo anthony no matter what you say about him he has been in the league for like a million years and he knows what to do like you know force a turnover or something um and then norman powell's ability like again championship experience ability get to the line i i think he's I can see why the Blazers traded Gary Trent for Norman Powell if they wanted to do things right now. And I think we'll see it. It's the apple of my eye. I, I mean, I don't know if I can consider him the X factor because he's so consistent with what he d- can produce on the floor. But Norman Powell's going to, I think he's going to get us a few clutch buckets and some clutch stops this, this game because he is a free agent. So it behooves him to show out in the playoffs when everybody can see him play. So. I think we're going to see some really nice Norman Powell moments in this, in the series Um, for a secondary guy. I think Anthony Simons will come up big. I mean, we've talked about uh, Denver's lack of guards Ants at worst, the fourth guard on this team. So I think that he's going to have some moments where he shines and uh, can really change that second unit for us, especially with the shooting. He's been really aggressive. And I think I took Dustin's, no, you didn't. All were great answers and, and you, you all backed them up. But for for those of you listening, Tara is wearing a mellow strikes back hoodie. Carmelo Anthony is going to be the X factor. I mean, the, the storylines are there for it to speak into existence. He's going back to Denver where he started his career, played about seven to eight years in Denver. Doesn't have the best relationship with that franchise. This is probably the first time he's been in the playoffs since that 
OKC series in 2018 against the Jazz. Um, the bubble notwithstanding, like playing with fans and the Blazers play better when Carmelo plays better. I think that is, I mean, you look, you look at the splits. He averages almost 15 points per game in Blazer wins, 12 in losses. He, his assists are nearly doubled. He shoots 8% higher from the field and from three, almost 45% from downtown in Blazer victories. It's got to be Carmelo Anthony. He is a he is made for playoff basketball when the game slows down, when you need to dump it into him to get a bucket. I, I don't think Denver has many bigs or guards that, that can check him. And let's not forget how absolutely clutch he was in the bubble last year, hitting those huge catch-and-shoot threes. He's already shown that uh, the ability to do it this year. I think he's going to come up huge. Terry Stocks trusts him. He could damn near be in part of some finishing fives. Um, Carmelo's built for this. I mean, this is, whether you love him or hate him, this is exactly why the Blazers went out and acquired him. Because there's not many players on a minimum deal that you could say, okay, you, you could be finishing in the five with us. And we you could possibly be taking, you know, game-defining shots. Uh, I, I just think his ability to score in a multiple multitude of ways, take some of the burden off of Damon CJ. You don't necessarily have to run offense through Nurk, like, Nurkic every single time it just gives Portland so another it just diversifies their offense that much more and, and I'm really excited to watch him play in the rhythm and the flow of the offense because I, I think he's he may not show it during media interviews but I think he's geeked I think he's super hyped for, for this this matchup especially against Denver and to prove that 18 years in the league he he still got it so uh, Carmelo is my X factor. I love that. And I um, would also add, I say this all the time on my other podcast that. Um, Let's go. The, we have a take podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, Carmelo just knows what he's doing. And it, like Damian Lord doesn't need like every player they've added. There's so many players they've added to the roster this season that, no longer Damien has to worry about, or they don't have like, they just, they know their job. They, they know their role and they do it well. And so, I mean, I was comparing this roster to the roster last season, right? So in the bubble, in the playoffs, the Blazers, you know, had um, Dame, CJ, Mello, Gary, and Nurkic. So that was your starting lineup. And then when you went to the bench, Hassan Whiteside, Anthony, Jalen Horde, Mario Hazonia, and Wenyan Gabriel. So not to say anything bad about any of those guys, but they're just like lack of experience and, you know, just glad to be there in the moment. Enthusiasm like was great and fun to watch. But I think even though they there's really only three guys coming off the bench right now, they all know what they're doing. And there are, uh, capable and experienced players behind them if they if he needs to switch things up again but we didn't talk there, about Nurkic as an x-factor so that kind of leads me into another question so I think there are a couple of questions that will define this series uh, one of them is Nurkic but on the defensive end so we all probably agree that uh, Nicole Jokic is going to win the, the league's MVP 
can Yusuf Nurkic defend the Joker straight up without fouling or having to have Portland send a double team? I think that will be one of the defining characteristics of this series. Like we, we have Nurkic back a player we didn't have in 2019. So it was Ennis Cantor with a bum shoulder, you know, fasting, going through everything and still going up against uh, a beast. And now he's even better in Nikola Jokic. So can Nurkic hold his own? Can, can he make it so Portland doesn't have to go to the bench early and can play smart? We know Nurk loves to uh, reach in. We know he loves to pick up silly fouls. Can he play disciplined and just keep Jokic in check? You, you can never uh, take a player like Jokic out of the game completely, but can he hold his own? I don't think that he can do it for games, but I think he can do it for bits and bits of time in games. I mean, Joker is one of the most transcendent bigs that, that the league's ever had. So to expect to put Yusuf on an island on him for long stretches of time is a bit... It, it, that's rough to put that much pressure on Yusuf. What we should do is try and send help as much as we can. There are some shooters that I wouldn't mind. I, th- I think that I, th- I think Yusuf can for bits of time, but I don't. I wouldn't want to put that much pressure on him uh, f- for an entire game. But I-, I hope that he can stop reaching in. But he likes doing it a lot. I was looking up the uh, his fouls in more recent play while you were talking, Sage, because uh, that is one thing that he has improved a little bit over this winning streak. Like he has been in less foul trouble. And um, I once had this theory, and I'm not saying that it was wrong, but at the time uh, when he was playing before he hurt himself, I always thought he played really well and he had like three or four fouls because then he was careful. And um, he was just a little bit more precise in what he did because he didn't want to foul out. So he would often play with like four or five fouls and then stay in there surprisingly long after he got those fouls so quickly, he'd have like a little bit more successful run. And I, my theory was always that because he knew he had those fouls and he knew he needed to stay in. And uh, like during the time where they were uh, really struggling, he was getting like four and five fouls pretty quickly. And I'm looking at like the last 10 games, there was only one game where he had four fouls. Otherwise it was like three or, or one or two. Um, so I think, I think that he is going to be able to, I think if he can accept the fact that Jokic is going to, he's going to get his like 24, 25 points. But if we can, if he can keep him from getting 40 or 50 and he can control his options and his outlets a little bit. So like steer him in a direction, like rather than just stop him, if he can just steer him. And if then Robert Covington is free to roam, I think that, uh, Nurkic has a good chance of like keeping things under control. Like, I don't think you can stop Jokic, but I think he can keep it under control. That's a great, great uh, point about Rocco as well, because he plays defense like a freak safety. He's one of the best off ball defenders in the league. I think Jokic is in the same uh, breadth as a LeBron James or a Magic Johnson in where if he does get 40, you may feel better than if he gets 20 assists. I think he is more lethal when he is getting his teammates involved. And so I would, if if Nurt can stay out of foul trouble and he is making him work for his buckets, if Jokic wants to go one-on-one and that's the only person touching the ball on that offense, 
I think you're okay with that, especially with a banged up Denver team. I think Denver is going to look to get others involved early and often to get them into a rhythm to kind of get the, get the jitters out. If we're able to maybe deny some of those passes and make Jokic take tough, difficult shots, I think you can live with that as a Blazer fan. Like what, what we don't want to see are those wide open threes that he's prone to get, um, the dribble drives, the and ones. Make him pound the ball into oblivion, maybe do a tough post jump hook or a fadeaway jumper. If it goes in, you tip your hat and, and you go down the floor. But that's a shot that's consistently not going to go in. So I would really try and limit Jokic's assists because I think if you do that, you have a great shot at, at beating the Nuggets. He may have a, an incredibly hot quarter, but it's really hard to do that for 48 minutes, seven games a series when you're shouldering all of that. If nobody else is coming to your aid, it's going to be a wrap for Denver. So if Nurkic can stay out of foul trouble and just make life a little bit difficult for Jokic, even if he's scoring, that's okay. But let's let's minimize uh, those assists. And I think Portland will be sitting pretty. So I'm, lo- I'm looking at the starting lineup of the Nuggets in the last game of the year. It was Joker, Compazzo, Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, Austin Rivers. So if those are the starting, if that's the starting lineup for us, like Denver has had experience, but those players in particular have yet to really be a part of a playoff rotation. Maybe Austin Rivers in Houston, but he wasn't the starting two. Aaron Gordon's played in Orlando forever, and they might have made the playoffs once. So the the team outside of Nikola Jokic is very inexperienced. So maybe maybe that that pressure it might be too much for him. Cause I, I remember last episode you talked about Ant might have trouble. Well, Aaron Gordon might have trouble. Michael Porter Jr. Might have problems. So that there are players I would uh, leave open. Aaron Gordon is one of them. You, you want him shooting as far away from the basket as possible. So if Portland is just patient on defense and they pick and choose their spots when to be disruptive, I think they're going to have success. I don't think they should keep one cookie cutter strategy and just enable that strategy throughout the entire game. Uh, They need to really be locked in that communicative um, talk, just be alert and say, okay, this is what we're doing on this, this, uh, this possession down the floor transition defense will be key. I mean, we've seen Portland get carved in the transition all year long. So um, Portland's just going to be really patient, but one area that always, you know, we talk about Jokic and what he can do for Denver. Well, that person for Portland is clearly Damian Lillard. And the question everyone always wants to know, how is Portland going to deal with the trapping and the blitzing of Damian Lillard? It seems to happen every playoff series, but there's no Torrey Craig. There's no Gary Harris, maybe no Will Barton. What does Denver do? Does Denver even have the personnel to properly trap Dame? Or are they going to have to go the OKC route and and play him straight up and just live with those results? And Billy Donovan will tell you those results. So if you're you're Denver, do you have the personnel to even make a a blitz or a trap worthwhile? Sage, I'll kick it to you first. So I'm looking at their, their roster right now. I think Aaron Gordon and Shaquille Harrison could. But after that, it's mostly offensively gifted players on their team. It's a very offensive, uh, strong team. So I I think if a a certain personnel is in that they might be able to do it, but 
if Aaron Gordon and Shaquille are in, what's that offense going to look like? Because we've seen what happens when Rondé and a non, another non-shooter on the floor are, are spacing is atrocious. So maybe they have the personnel, but I don't know. Um, that If they trap, I trust Norman Powell to at least move off ball and try and make that pass a whole lot easier. And that's something we haven't had the luxury of in multiple years to have a guy that can move off ball. So I, I think Norman Powell being that secondary ball handler when he's in the game could be huge if they're trying to 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 trap Damian Lillard. I I think if somebody like uh, Faku Kompazu is so into guarding Damian Lillard, then CJ and Norm will just have their nights. Like I can see Compazzo just spending so much effort trying to throw Damian off that, uh, you know, that's the beauty of the three guard lineup, which spoiler alert. Oh my God. I love it so much Um, (laughs) because it's just so illogical. It just doesn't make any sense that the Blazers have had such success with it. I mean, with all the years of everybody complaining about having two small guards, oh, you don't like two small guards? Here's three. (laughs) But it's really brilliant to watch. And I was watching just uh, a little bit of just the last game, and I know we didn't learn a lot about the last game, but there were times where – Faku was so focused on chasing Damian Lillard that CJ would get the ball and he would just dribble circles around. Like uh, there was this one brilliant one where he just like dribbled right around Jokic and Jokic just like stood there with his hand up and CJ circled right around and put it up in the basket. So um, my guess is there's going to be a lot of energetic chasing Damian Lillard for the first game or two, and then there'll be a more sustained effort to double team and they'll see how that works but yeah I, having two other perfectly except you know i even if denver had the personnel i don't think it would be effective and i may have be i may have been singing a different tune had i not seen damien's fourth quarter performance against phoenix where you have two all-world defenders in chris paul and mikhail bridges do whatever they could and there was no answer for Dame. He was running, basically getting ahead of Seema, a running start towards that that pick and just splitting the defense. And because Portland had uh, Rocco and Mello and Nurk and CJ and Norm, like we, we, we interchanged those other four, the help defenders weren't there. And Phoenix had no shot blockers. And aside from JaVale McGee, Denver has no shot blockers either. So I, I think if Dame puts his mind to it, he's going to be able to get whatever shot he wants. And I think the same goes for for Norm, who's probably going to see single coverage. CJ may see double coverage when Dame's out, but this is the perfect really setting for the three-guard lineup to to flourish. Like, if this is what we want to see moving forward, uh, I think they kind of have to put pen to paper and produce. And it's kind of like all the ingredients are coming together for Portland at the right time. It seems like this is a great matchup and they should be able to exploit uh, Denver's defense with our strengths. So um, I I really want to see now if you're cooking from three, you're cooking from three. That's great. But I think this is a series where I really want to see Portland put the ball on the floor, get to the foul line, get to the paint, attack that Denver defense that doesn't really have an interior presence. And when we see Portland, you know, really value the possession, which you need to do in the postseason that's when they're so lethal. And that's when you get the really open threes off of the dribble penetration. So uh, I think 
Dame really is going to kind of lead the charge. And, and if we see him start to go to the cup early, that's going to be a great sign for us. Um, just because I feel like we're such a different team when we're aggressive and going to the, going to the basket rather than kind of settling for good, maybe not great threes. We've talked about how we can defend Jokic, talked about how Denver could defend Dame, trying to remove your rose-colored glasses as best as possible. What player would you rather have for this series and this series only? You could have Damian Lillard, possible first-team All-NBA player, maybe the most clutch player in the league, or the league MVP in Nikola Jokic, basically a seven-foot unicorn that can do it all. Uh, Sage, I'll, I'll let you go first. I mean, it depends on who's on your team and what. Well, just who's if, if you're ranking the top five players in the series, you get a draft. Who, who are you picking first? I, I would go Dame just because he gets the ball easier. For Joker, he he can dribble the ball up, but a lot of times with bigs, they have to get the ball to them. So Damien doesn't have that speed bump. He can just get it and go. So I guess I would go with Damian Lillard. But I mean, if this was Fandle or DraftKings, you'd have to look at pricing to see who who, who I would who would play. I would go with Damian too. I I consider him like a conductor, like an orchestra conductor, and his ability to not just you know himself uh, be excellent, but to orchestrate the whole rest of the game. And that's not to say that Joker couldn't do that. I see him you know pointing a lot, but uh, just the way the Damian Lord is like without question, the driver and the leader. Whereas I just, I keep going back to a couple of years ago when I talked to Adam Mades about Denver and I said, well, who's the leader in the rock locker room? And he was like, well, probably the coach. And I was just like, it's just, you know, the, the leader of the Blazers is their number one player. And so that's why I would take uh, Damian Lord, but I do really like Jokic and appreciate him. And, um, I'm so excited that I'm he's probably going to win the MVP just because I think he's the person who cares about it the least. <laughs> just oh, well that's cool. And I saw the NBA just like tweeted out like the three finalists Embiid and Jokic and um Steph Curry and like Jokic doesn't even have a Twitter so they couldn't even like tag him in the post, which I just thought was so brilliant and I was like give that man the MVP right now if you're not going to give it to Damian Lord. I think I'll have to make it a clean sweep. I, I really tried to look at this objectively. I would take Damian Lillard. I still think he's a top five player in this league. I think Jokic is in the top five as well. But if we're looking at the playoffs and Jokic is going to put, you're going to look at the, the series, Jokic is going to have better stats, but stats aren't, aren't everything. If, if I'm looking at the playoffs, you want that player that can just put the team on their back and score 24 points in the quarter like Dame can. I, I don't think there's any player more feared with the ball in his hands. It, it's Dame or Steph. You know, you can pick your poison. You can argue until you're blue in the face for either one, but they are both absolute torches with the ball in their hands. And they, they strike fear into the opponents like, like none other. And you factor in how clutch Damien has been not only this year throughout his career, but He's just cool under pressure, and he lives for that moment. And Sage mentioned it. He has the ball in his hands. It's, it's difficult for a big because they're reliant on others to get them the ball. So Dame's going to have the ball. He's comfortable with it. We've seen him do this before. Like, I, I'm taking Dame for th this series. Jokic would be my second, um, a, a close second. But 
there's not many players I would pick over Damian Lillard for a playoff series, especially now that he's surrounded with, you know, pretty good talent. So my thing with with that is that um, I really I do love and appreciate that Damian can put the team on his back. But my favorite games are the games that somebody else does. Or I don't I don't know about favorite, but this team team is going to succeed if there are games where other people step up to put their uh, the team on their back. And like the person that I most am always hoping that that will be is Yusuf Nurkic. He I think can really do it. And that's what he was doing. Like right before he fell down and fell and broke his leg. That's what he was doing in Nurk fever is he'd look around and he'd go, okay, everybody climb on back, climb on my back. I'm going to finish this out for us. So I'm hoping in this series that we'll see other players um, really step up and, and, and take on that role. And that's one of the things I like about Damian Lord. And another reason that I would pick him as the leader is that he creates that atmosphere where it's perfectly fine if CJ's going to go have a 50-point night. Go, CJ. I will keep getting you the ball. So speaking of Nurk, I, I, I put together a list of the top five players in this series. I don't think it it necessarily matters how many one team has versus another, but you know, if I was you know to rank them going into a series, I think we're, we're all in agreement. Dame Jokic, one, two. Who would be your three, four, and five? I think the debate becomes at three and four. Do you have CJ or do you have MPJ? I think both players are capable of carrying a team. Uh, CJ has done it in a postseason. He did it against these Denver Nuggets. Uh, I have him at three. And then at five, the person you just talked about, Tara, I have Yusuf Nurkic. Um, I I think he is an invaluable asset to the Blazers, given how we really run a lot of offense through him. Our our defense is predicated on the big fella staying healthy. I mean, we've seen how bad we are without him on the floor. So, I mean, there's a lot of value there. So my three through five would be CJ, MPJ, and and Nurkic. Sage, would you differ there? Would you, uh, how would you rearrange those? MPJ is so horrific defensively that he could be fifth on mine. At least Nurk is a two-way player. Couldn't you see a world where MPJ's played off the floor because he's just giving up so many so many points defensively? With Jamal Murray, yes. Without Jamal Murray, no. I I would go Dame, Joker, CJ, Nurk, Porter. I don't want to put any Denver Nuggets on my list. <laughs> so I'll give you uh, Dame and then Joker, uh, Joker, and then CJ. I um I ranked the top five most important trailblazers this season and I left CJ off the list and I feel terrible. So I'm just putting him on this list because it's gonna be in the in the playoffs is when he's really going to uh shine. And he's uh so yeah, so CJ Nurk, if I have to put in a nugget, I would say uh Michael Porter Jr., but I'm gonna say Norman Powell. Good one. Who do you all, so Sage and I have discussed this, I think probably maybe even a year ago, like leading up to this moment, this, this season feels like it's, it's put up or shut up for this core, for for the front office, for the coaching staff, uh, the players around Damian Lillard. It, It felt like there was a lot of pressure riding on this team to succeed. I mean, clearly you make it to the conference finals in 2019. Okay. You're dealt with some injuries in 2020, the coronavirus stops play for multiple months you go to the bubble cj breaks his back you know things didn't go well so you kind of get a mulligan for 2020 
However, 2021 comes around, Portland underperforms for the majority of the season until late, and we're healthy now. So I think there is a lot of a lot of pressure on the Blazers. There's a lot at stake. You know, I think based upon their performance and maybe this round or the following round can determine who we have on our roster next season. So I kind of wanted to pose the question to you. I, I have a few in mind, but I wanted to hear from you first. Like on the Blazers, who has most at stake in terms of their standing with the team, their potential free agency, their rotation minutes, just everything you can think of. Uh, so who, who do you think has most at stake in this series and postseason? I'll kick it you to Tara go, first. You go, oh, I was going to say, you go first, Sage. <laughs> um, are we talking about players or like the front office and the coach? You can choose and well? anything involved with the Portland Trailblazers. I mean, I'll, I'll st- let, let's go a couple of rounds and I'll just start and probably say Terry Stotts. Um, I think this is as close as he's ever been to, um, you know, it, the weirdest thing about this season was that like, I don't disagree that they underperformed and yet the whole time their record was great like not great but it was like for a while it was like well for a while it was like surprisingly good they were like 10 over for a long time in in a place where it looked like they were absolutely like it was just weird like i like i said i don't disagree that they did not perform up but you know wins are what matters and for a long time they had quite a few wins and <laughs> it was just, it was just weird. Um, but I think, I think Stotts and not because I think that he's a bad coach because I don't, but it's possible that they've just gone as far as they could um, under his guidance. And it might be time to just mix it up a little bit. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that, that has to be one or one a on the list because you look at Terry and even if Terry were to get us to the Western Conference Finals, it wouldn't be unheard of for a coach to be let go after taking a team that far. We saw Toronto do it with Dwayne Casey bringing in Nick Nurse, and they won it with Nick Nurse. You saw the Miami Heat do it with Stan Van Gundy, and they won it the next year in, in 06. So it does happen, and, and I don't think – I don't think, like – I hope Terry goes into this not thinking, oh, my job's on the line. I hope he goes into it with the joy that he has for coaching, which I think he will. Like he's he's been with this franchise for nine years. I mean, you want to go out on your own terms. And so um, I think Terry is is a great answer. One, one person who I think is huge and somebody we've discussed is Yusuf Nurkic. Yusuf Nurkic is in line for a major payday. Uh, he is a free agent in the summer of 2022. So he has one year left. He's represented by Clutch. They, they love to get their players paid. Nurkic has also had a lot of durability concerns. And you sometimes don't know what player you're going to get. Like, he's kind of feast or famine. And when he's when he's feasting, the team is, we look like true contenders. However, when he doesn't play up to par, we look like, oh, God, should we just blow this whole thing up? Like, it's not working. So if Nurk has a big postseason, he's going to get that probably not Rudy Gobert payday, but he's going to be in line for much more than the four for $48 million, which he signed for, you know, Portland got a great deal there because he, that was, I believe the year we lost to the Pelicans and he looked subpar. So we, we got a good deal. There's a lot of money on the line for, for the Bosnian beast. And so uh, I think he has a, a lot at stake and also Portland has to decide, can we consider him part of our big three? Like if you're a member of the big three, you're reliable, you're consistent, you're durable. 
We know what we're going to get every single game. He has a great opportunity to prove that because when he's on, I mean, there is a reason he's part of our big three. Uh, Sage, who do you have? Well, and Yusuf, I mean, just think, there's not many centers that get paid anymore. So the fact that he has an opportunity to get paid is hugely important. He has to do well. Um, I think the two that you have is really great, but I would say Norman Powell has a lot of stress on him as well. He is a free agent after this season. So the most eyes are going to be watching him perform. So for his wallet, he has to, he has to put up or shut up and uh, produce. So he, he has to be feeling the pressure. I mean, this is, he's just got onto this team and it seems like the team is doing a lot of, a lot to keep him happy. He has to perform and do what he can. Cause this is, this is where he gets his big payday. All right. Let's each take one more, uh, one more round Tara. Yeah. You kick it off. Yeah, uh, Nurkic was going to be my other one, uh, you know, because of exactly the situation that you described. I mean, um, you know, which falls perfectly in place with like put put it show that you can put a team on your back um, if, you know, if you want to get paid. And I don't even want to think about what the offseason is going to be like. But, yeah, I, d- I do think for exactly the same reasons that you said, like, you know, when he when he signed with Clutch and then Gary was with Clutch, like I just died inside. So, <laughs> yes, uh, I agree. Same. I would say I have I have three left, but one is way more about important to me than than the other two. Uh, so I'll I'll let I'll let Sage go, and if if, if Sage if you don't if you don't take any of my answers, I'll, I'll go. Um, I think Carmelo's legacy. I mean, That's, that was one. That was one. Because this, you don't know how much longer he he's going to be in the league. So going against the team that he started his career with, there's just a lot of legacy questions. So I think that might put some pressure on him to perform. So uh, I don't know if it's anywhere near the the the, uh, the Nurkic or the Terry Stotts level of pressure, but there's you know legacy uh, pressure instead. So you took the legacy angle with Carmelo. My my mellow angle was going to be more his. Would he is he going to return next year? I mean, I think clearly he wants to keep playing. Uh, he's still more than capable of producing. But we're all pro Mello, especially at the at the cost point that we get. But he and Cantor have been. Uh, it's it's been rough defensively, and so. I think we're going to see in the postseason, like, are the positives going to outweigh the negatives? I mean, when you have a bench player, they're, they're not going to be all the time perfect. Otherwise, they would be starting. So you have pros and, and you have your cons. So I think what Mello weighs out, I think, will determine whether, you know, we're going to bring him back. I mean, you also have to factor in they might want to bring back Zach Collins. So Zach's going to have to take somebody's spot in the rotation. So I think it's going to be uh, an interesting series and postseason for Carmelo as as a, as a Blazer long term, and it's been great watching him these last two years. Uh, we'll find out probably if it's going to continue. Uh, one minor one I would say is I think Ant has a little at stake for this postseason. This is his third year. Um, is he going to take that leap, or is he going to be just a, a good prospect, or is he going to make the leap to a consistent producer? He's going to get a chance to do it. Um, we've seen him have you know, 
sparkles uh, of, of brilliance. And I think we need to see a little bit more if we're going to invest in Anthony long-term. But the player that I am surprised that no one has mentioned so far is CJ McCollum. Um, not only did he, I think he was responsible for us beating Denver in 2019, but with the James Harden rumors early in December, you know, he even addressed them and basically said, yeah, I've heard them. And I know if James Harden comes here, I know I'm going to be the one that's going to be exiting. Uh, you saw him have that all-star start to the season. I mean, the volume threes on, you know, 40 plus percent shooting uh, really carried us uh, to our good start. And he's, he's kind of been inconsistent since coming back from his injury, but when he's on, he is incredible. And he's the type of player that you need in the postseason. So I think this is a big, big CJ has so much at stake. Um, and I want to see him continue to stay in Portland, but the bottom line is Portland has to at least win this series for, I think the front office to say, yes, yeah, CJ McCollum, you are good enough to be Damian Lillard's Robin. You know, Dame's clearly Batman. He he's a player. I think you can he can be the best player on the team on a championship winning team. This is a big postseason for CJ, and we all know CJ's fantastic. He has the capability of winning a series. We've seen him do it before, but he he does have a tendency to be inconsistent. So it's basically you know what CJ are we going to get? Is he going to shoot volume or is he going to be more? choosy with the shots. And I think he's much better when he picks and chooses his moments. Um, I think this is a perfect series for him to really kind of let the world know, like, Hey, don't forget about me. Like I'm, he always says like, I know I'm nice and, and he is. And I think if he performs that way, Portland's going to win the series. I just don't see CJ as inconsistent. I mean, not everybody has a great night every night. I see CJ as super reliable and, you know, that Dame totally depends on him and trusts him. And uh, as you were talking about CJ, I was thinking about the exact thing you said, which is CJ knows he's nice. So I think, I don't know. I, don't, I, I wonder how much CJ, how much pressure CJ actually feels about how far the team is Gonna, I don't know. He just, I just don't see him as in, as inconsistent like that. I don't, I don't see him as good as Damien and if, you know, who's as good as Damien, you know, but even Damien has nights. They're rare, but it happens. And I don't, you know, because CJ wasn't playing like he was at the beginning of the season and he's coming back from a broken foot. I don't know. I just, I have to look at like all the dig into the numbers and everything to uh, see if you, I would ag agree with that. You mentioned it earlier about Norman Powell getting to the free throw line and CJ not. So yeah, I think that's I agree where that. the inconsistencies mm -hmm. come in from me is because Dame, I mean, Lord knows he's had plenty of nine of 23, eight of 25 shooting nights, but he'll find a way to get to the line eight to mm -hmm. 10 times. CJ just isn't at that level. I mean, not many players are. So, I guess when all you're seeing is, okay, CJ shot nine of 23, gave us, you know, 20 points on 21 shots. You need a second player to be more efficient. And there's nights where he's like 10 of 15. And you're like, this is, this is perfect. That's exactly what we needed. And I think the reason, one of the reasons Portland took off over these past 12 games was the field goal attempts from CJ. I, I think I said it on one episode, they went from like 19 to 15. 
And I think it allowed him to be more selective in the shots he was taking. Uh, I think he's better when he shoots more threes than the long twos. And you're just, you're finding other players to get those four shots. I know four shots doesn't seem like a lot, but I mean, if we can get Norman Powell two open looks and Robert Covington two open looks, we'll take that because CJ has the ability to pull a defense in. He has that, that gravity, maybe not to the level of Damian, but I mean, we've seen him get going. We've seen him score 40 plus in the playoffs. We've seen Dame kind of step aside and say, you're taking the final shot. And CJ goes out there and, and makes it happen. So I think maybe inconsistent was was the wrong choice. Maybe efficient. I think we just need a little bit more efficiency from CJ. And because you you can't have Damon CJ be the exact same. Like if whenever they both shoot sub 50%, that, that's a night that we're going to struggle to win. So I think if we're able to just be more efficient, get to the line, find open shots for our other, you know, shooters. I mean, Norm's money from downtown, Rocco. I mean, Every time he shoots, I expect it to go in. Same with Ant and Carmelo and, you know, Ennis Cantor, there to clean everything up. So, you know, we have a great team. So I think once we started playing a little bit more uh, unselfish, Dame included, uh, that's when we really started to click. So I think CJ and Dame, if they both can be efficient, uh, that we're going to be a nightmare to defend. So I think the thing with CJ is that he doesn't get easy baskets. So he has to shoot almost perfect to be efficient. With Dame, he can have off nights and just make up for it in free throws. So maybe the 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 problem was the inefficiencies and then the the lack of getting easy scores. Because like you know, Dame gets the free throw line, Norm gets the free throw line, and his canter can get easy stuffs off putbacks. CJ doesn't really have that. He has to manufacture it with dribble creation and then shooting mid range and three point shots. And that's a lot harder than getting to the line, getting two free throws or getting a layup. But make no mistake yeah, about it. I, I think CJ is going to have a huge series. I, I even, I picked up a CJ Jersey online. I hope it comes. It won't be in time for game one, but I hope it's in time for, for game two. I, I think he is the type of player that teams need in the postseason because he may not make get easy bucket sage, but he gets the hard buckets and most buckets in the postseason are hard because defenses are locked in for every possession. So I am expecting a, a major McCollum postseason in Portland. What were you going to say, Tara? Oh, I was going to say that you two uh, like uh, explained really well, like what you meant by um, wh- what you wanted to see in CJ that, that you hadn't been been seeing because, and I think you're right about the getting to the line part. He takes so many of his uh, shots that are not three-pointers. He takes them from the mid-range, which I happen to love because they're just so fun and they're just so like disheartening to the other team. But they don't put you in a position where you're likely to get fouled. Um, so there is, uh, I, I see what you mean by that. And like, yeah, Dame can have an off-shooting night, but if he gets, you know, 15 three free throws, <laughs> then he still ends up with a, with a lot of points. So yeah, CJ could... Just add that to his bag. That would be great. I mean, Dame has that margin of error that CJ just doesn't have with the game that CJ has currently. Yeah, CJ has also has the ability the to he makes clutch non-scoring plays at oh, the absolutely. end of games. I like how he's been rotating defensively too. Yeah, and it's like, oh, CJ got that was quite a rebound, CJ. I mean, he he will come in and get some just uh, momentum changing. Um, like, like, you know, like I said, rebounds that are just like, mm-hmm. oh yeah. Let's not, let's not forget that block he had on Jamal Murray. 
that needs to be a top shot, even though top shots really disappointing me. So we have, uh, I think, an incredible fan question. I even dis- I held off on a topic I wanted to discuss because it tied in perfectly with this question. Um, so I, I've been watching uh, a lot of the 2019 playoffs and, and the Denver series, all of those mini movies, and just remember re- remembering watching them and being there live. And the the X factor of that series was Rodney Hood. Rodney could not throw it in the ocean against OKC comes in posts up Jamal Murray plays him off the floor hits that incredible clutch three in game three has a great game six performance um so the question from Justin B leak on Twitter wants to know who is going to be the surprise hero of round one and win the Rodney Hood Memorial Award Tara I'll let you have first crack at this I, I don't know why, but Anthony Simons just came to my mind. So I'm just going to go with my gut. I think he'll he'll have a, a clutch performance. He'll have one of those ones where he makes like 10 threes in a game or something like that. I think Speaking it's going to be into Anthony. existence. Can I say Norman Powell or is that too mainstream for the X factor of the... It's mainstream for you because every answer is the apple of your eye. Well, I'm sorry. I love him so much. I love him it's... so much that I'm going to buy that... Uh, Drake cereal print later when I have money. It's it's a little uh, it's a little normcore for me, uh, but oh, God, I, I'm, I'm using go my with, contrarian street cred here. Okay, I'm gonna go. So hoodie came in off the bench. I, I like Tara's answer with Ant, but as I discussed earlier with the storylines, the legacy, Carmelo Anthony offensively uh, is going to be the Rodney Hood. Uh, Memorial Award. I think Mello has a great chance at hitting a game-winning shot like like uh, Hoodie did. But also I noticed when watching those mini movies was defensively, we had somebody that came in off the bench and kind of changed the, 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 the direction of, of that series. And it was Zach Collins. Zach Collins against Paul Millsap, uh, his help side defense, he had a major block in game six of that series that I think just really turned the tide. We weren't getting dominated by uh, Millsap just in the post bullying, you know, Harkless and Aminu, like no more. That was done. So defensively, I, I think to look at it from, you know, if it's a Rodney Hood uh, Memorial Offense Award, I think the Zach Collins Memorial Defensive Award. And it's tough to say without, you know, naming a starter because, you know, Roko's clearly our best uh, best defender. And as much as we love them, Ant, Ennis and Mello aren't known for their defense. So I, I went deep down into the bag. You know, Zach wasn't a rotation player to start the series, but there's two players I think could make at least an appearance and, you know, swing the tide at least one game. And if Portland wants to go a little bit bigger, they've got Rondé Hollis Jefferson. If they want to go smaller on ball, Derek Jones Jr. So I think those two players have the ability defensively to lock in, help defend the pick and roll play some man ball defense. And if we can get Derek out in the open court, especially at home, get those fans involved, like we're starting to look for him more on, on the break and on in, in, in the offense, but defensively is where it all starts. The Blazers know that. So I think those two players have the ability defensively to uh, win us a game or two. Change my Twitter name to Norm Corsage. No denying where you stand. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you brought, Brought up uh, Derek Jones Jr. and Rondé Hollis Jefferson, and why not throw in Nas Little? Or did you say Nas Little as well? I didn't. I mean, I mean Nas is Nas is the apple of of my eye. Is Nas is like Nas is like Nas is like. Yes. 
Thank you. That's a hip hop appreciation month fact for me. Is it? Oh yeah, it is hip hop appreciation week. I learned that from your Instagram account, Sage. Um, My Instagram account is the weirdest thing I've ever created. I I want I'm I hope that the Derek Jones Jr. heroic game um I hope you can speak that into existence because um I mean you know we heard it when he came to Portland that he you know had played his way out of the playoffs and didn't get to play in the playoffs. I loved watching him play. I mean I'm not to think that he's like some sort of an all-star. I also think that he's a young player, you know, an undrafted player who's worked really hard to get what he, you know, get where he got. Um, so I would love to see him have a game and a chance in the playoffs. He's even though he's out of the rotation, he seems to have remained like perfectly positive, like off the bench. He seems to be engaged and he doesn't seem to be like sitting there pouting or anything, which is great. Um, so yes, I hope that um you've spoken that one into existence a little bit of a, you know, kind of like a Derek Jones, June, like uh, a good block of Jokic or uh, something like that would be really fun. So before we go into our predictions for the game and the series, I did a little research assuming Jokic is the MVP. I looked up and I, since 1970. So I, I, I went and I, I researched who was the last MVP that exited in the first round since 1970. The good news is they are primarily big men. So you have Westbrook in 2017. You go to Dirk in 2007 against the, the, the We Believe Warriors. Then you have Moses Malone twice, actually, in 82 and 79. Bill Walton in 78. We all know injuries played a factor there. And then Kareem in 76, his team didn't even qualify for the playoffs. So it doesn't it hasn't happened recently, but that doesn't mean it can't happen. And it traditionally happens to two big men. So with, with that said, you know, what is your game one prediction? Who do you think is going to have? Who do you think is the X factor, Tara? I'm so bad at predictions. I'm so bad at them. You can't be worse I hate than I am. Them. I lose. I lose to Sage every year by like five I hate to ten games. Making them. I'm Why do we it. do this to ourselves? Why do we do this to ourselves? This is this is where we are as a society. No, um, I think that I think the Blazers steal one, uh, and it comes right down to the wire. Um, but the Blazers are still feeling their one point loss earlier in April. And so, uh, they managed to steal one. Do you guys know if they went to, are going to Denver early to get acclimated? They just left today. Oh, that's good to know. Okay. That's good to hear. Yeah. So I think the Blazers will eke out a very close win. And I just lost it for them by saying that. No, since... I'm actually kind of good at this. I think the Blazers are also going to win. And uh, I think it's going to be like a seven-point victory for the Blazers. Who's your um, X-Factor, Sage? Norm Powell? You know what? I am a Norm Cora kind of guy, so I'm going to go Norm Powell. I, 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 I we're probably jinxing the Blazers. I, I, I'm pro- way too optimistic about this series, and I'm usually never optimistic that – I can't remember being this excited about a series and feeling that we have a, you know, we, we should be the favorites probably since 2000, maybe 2018 against the Pelicans, but both all four of those games were down to the wire. Um, I think you factor in Denver 
their, their injuries uh, at key positions. They don't really have the defenders that typically give Portland teams problems. Portland, again, scrapped their way through last season only to lose to the Lakers in five. I, I think they want to get back to where they were in 2019. I, I think the, the team knows there's a lot riding on this series. And I think they do win game one. My X factor will be CJ McCollum. Uh, I think he is going to have a massive series and kind of maybe silence a lot of a lot of the critics, including myself. I, I've been a little hard on CJ this this year, but that's only because I know how good he can play. Uh, but overall, who do you have winning the series and in how many games? Sage? Blazers in six. I feel everything that you said, Dustin, about like the like feeling uh like really optimistic. I I say that I am positive and sometimes optimistic and those two can be different things (laughs) but i am optimistic about this one and i actually think the same as you uh sage is blazers in six so i was thinking actually early on as soon as i saw we got denver i was like okay blazers are gonna win in five and then i started thinking well if they win the first game there's no way they're gonna lose the second game and i started thinking some more and i was like well Portland's going to get there. They're rested. They're healthy, you know, knock, knock on wood. I think Portland's going to go in there. I th- I, I think it's not going to be a close series. I think they're going to sweep Denver. Um, I, I see a lot of media members picking Denver in six or seven. Uh, Jalen and Jacoby, the Jacoby portion of that thought Denver is going to steamroll us. And I think people are just, I don't think the outside media pays attention to little Portland, Oregon. And and I think they just see the, the numbers, how bad we were defensively. And, you know, I think they see, you know, Denver has Jokic, the MVP, they have a home court advantage. Well, well, one home court advantage isn't quite going to be what, what it once was at least this season. And two Portland is peaking at the right time We're we're finally healthy. I think we had a come to Jesus moment where the teammates finally aired out all of their, their grievances. Cause there were some, there had to have been, they're playing more as a team. They're playing more cohesive. And, and lastly, whether it's a sweep or whether it's not, I, I truly believe Portland has to win this series. Like if you can't beat Denver at their current state, you really need to do a much more massive overhaul than any of us really want to occur. So I, I think the players know that, especially Damian Lillard, like they know it's on them. And, and I think they play their best when their backs are against the wall, when everyone counts them out. So I, I think Portland's going to shock the world. I don't, I don't think they're going to win the championship, but I, I have a feeling that they are going to sweep the Denver Nuggets because if you get them down 0-2 coming back home to Portland with whether it's 10%, 20%, 30% capacity, we're not going to slip up and give you a game like we did the Rockets in 2014. There's no Troy Daniels out there that's going to save you, Denver. <laughs> so I, I think it'll be a wrap. I, I do think they're going to win in four. Damn. I like it. I like the confidence. From your mouth it, to God's ears. <laughs> um, quickly, going through the, the rest of the West and the East, give me some first-round predictions. Rapid fire. Uh, in the Eastern Conference, it looks like we have Philly. And the Wizards, Sage, who do you have? Philly. Tara. I think Philly's going to be the, the, the team in the East. Okay, so you so Philly, and then you have Philly in representing the Eastern Conference. Yeah, because they don't have they will only have to play one brutal matchup instead of two. All right. Tara, do you have Philly advancing as well? 
Yeah, Philly, but I don't like it. What about Milwaukee and Miami? The Heat upset them last year in the bubble. That is a difficult 3-6 matchup for the Bucks. Going Bucks. You're yeah. holiday, baby. They're not going to let that happen again. What about the Celtics and the Nets? No Jalen Brown for the Nets, and it looks like all – or for the Celtics, looks like the Nets are all healthy at the same time. BK. Yeah, Nets have that one. And then I think maybe the most interesting – no, no, I think the Bucks and the Heat is most interesting first round. But the Knicks are finally back in the playoffs. They have home court. Knicks, Hawks, Nate McMillan, revitalizing Atlanta. Who do you both have? I'm going with the guard play. I'm going with Trey Young. Uh, I don't trust Alfred Payton and uh, Derek Rose to be the, the main playmakers of a playoff t- uh, winning team. So I'm going ATL. That's a really close one. And I also would go with Atlanta just because I think at some point this, this neck, this Knicks run has to kind of run out and run out of steam. Uh, It's been great and it's terrific and I'm so happy for them. And I'm so excited. There's going to be playoff basketball, you know, in in New York again. Um, But it was so unexpected for a reason. And I think just at some point their steam, they're just going to run out of steam. Sage, who do you have in the Eastern Conference Finals? I know you have Philly winning, but who do you have them them playing? That's that's so tough. I mean, the Brooklyn New York, uh, Brooklyn uh, Milwaukee game is going to be incredible. That series is going to be great. Now it, it's between my head and my heart. You know, my heart wants to say Drew Holiday. My head's thinking that the Nets have the best offense ever, so I'm going with the Nets in seven. Yeah, I think the Nets are going to come out of the East. I don't know who they're going to play because I'm not looking at the. Uh thing in front of me but um i think they're 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 gonna be wake up and be like oh okay it's time and then they're just gonna like thrash everybody so i agree with all of your first round picks although i think heat bucks is gonna go seven um i think the bucks it's they're lucky they got Giannis's signature in the Mm offseason because they drew the most difficult path of any team east or west to possibly get and win a finals talking about Miami, a team that beat them last year, the Brooklyn Nets with maybe the best offensive-minded big three of all time, and then the Philadelphia 76ers. Oh, and then the Western Conference champ. So Milwaukee has a tough road. I don't think that the Bucs can get through that. I have Philly and Brooklyn. Uh, yeah, I, I don't see it for the Bucs. Um, I've got Brooklyn and Philly. I think Brooklyn, they're just way too supremely talented. And it, it's it's almost like an embarrassment of riches. Even if one player is quiet, you still have two all world players to, to lean on, but back to the Western conference, we both given our predictions for the Portland Denver series, but what about Clippers and Mavericks, a rematch from last year's very entertaining bubble uh, first round series. I'm going Clippers. Um, They, they just have the wing depth that could really frustrate Luca. They have three point of attack defenders. I think they have the best best coaching staff in all the league. So I, I would go. I'm going Clippers. It's Clippers Philly in my mind. I'm going the Clippers, but I don't like it. Okay, I'm with Tara. I, I don't like it either. I don't like how how the how the Clippers uh, played their way into that matchup. Um, I actually think Dallas had a better team to do, to defeat the Clippers last year than they do this year. They're they're really going to miss, and Seth. they have Seth Curry. Uh, what about the Suns and the Lakers. I feel terrible for Monty Williams and the Suns to have a 
a once in a decade season only to draw the defending champions as a two seed. Just absolutely brutal luck. But what, what do you both see here? Seems like the media is already ready crowning the Lakers as, as the first round uh, victors. I think Phoenix will give them a run for their money, but the Lakers are going to win. They just have, you know, Anthony Davis is going to, he, he, he needs this. He really needs this. So I think the, the Lakers are going to come out of that one. This is my heart and head again. Uh, Don't take my pick, Sage. I'm going to go Suns because fuck the Lakers. I I honestly think Phoenix is going to win in seven. This is why I disagreed with what the Clippers did. I watched that game last night between the Warriors and the Lakers. The the spacing was terrible. LeBron looks about like 65%. Anthony Davis, he's out there just shooting jumpers all day instead of posting up. Um, Yes, I know he gave them 42 against the Suns late in the season. I think you get a Phoenix team with with Chris Paul, who is go- they are going to have a massive chip on their shoulders. They are the two seed. They have the second best record in the entire NBA, and nobody is giving them a chance in hell. That is very dangerous to do. Uh, the Lakers aren't healthy. Um, they may say they have the players back, but they're they're not healthy. They didn't look cohesive. Uh, Frank Vogel is, is going to lose them a series. It, it may not be the Suns, but his his rotations are terrible. Laker fans have been complaining about it this season. Starting Drummond is awful. They need to be starting Marc Gasol. Uh, he, mm. he at least faces the floor or you got to tell Anthony Davis man oh. up, oh. play the five because they are the best when he is at the five and they're able to space the floor. But I, I think Phoenix wins and then Utah versus either Memphis or golden state. Who do you have? Utah. Yeah. Um, I love that you matched my energy there. (laughs) Utah. I don't know. I'm the biggest right now. I am the biggest Grizzlies fan. So I'm just, I'm, I'm just focused on that matchup, but yeah, whoever comes out of there, uh, Utah, the thing that I, I think Utah has that Phoenix doesn't have is that, uh, Utah has, you know, more, more reps together. And oh, I think Phoenix, healthy. even though they've been through a lot, um, they haven't been through a lengthy, you know, uh, campaign together. So, yeah, that's, I've where, got, that's why I just don't think that Phoenix is going to be able to pull it off. I've got Utah winning as well. I have got, who, before I say my prediction, who do you have? So say you have the Clippers, who's playing the Clippers in, in the West and who do you, who's your champion? So you have, you have Clippers, Sixers, but who's the Western Conference Finals participants and who's your ultimate champion? Oh, I think the, they play the Suns. Okay. And who's your champion? I'm going to go Philly. Okay. Tara? I think it's going to be the Lakers versus somebody. Uh, I don't, who Who's in there? It, you it, have them, Utah or the Clippers? Oh. It would be have to be Utah or the Clippers. Um Versus Utah. I think it'll be the Lakers versus Utah and Brooklyn will be the champions. Okay. I have Clippers, Blazers, Western Conference Finals, Clippers in six, unfortunately. (laughs) Brooklyn Nets in six over the Clippers. The Clippers are the one team in the West. I think Portland does not match up well with. Um, 
if it ends up being Lakers Blazers, I probably give Portland six or seven games given how LA is not fully clicking, but that would be a competitive series. So I I'm hoping Phoenix wins. That would, I, I have Portland beating Phoenix in seven. I think that would be a similar series to Denver in 2019, but if we could get back to the conference finals, not get swept, uh, that would be a, an incredible season and give you a good foundation to build off of going into the following season as possible true contenders. But uh, I think that wraps up our playoff preview. There's a lot of optimism. Uh, check in with us after game one. Let's see if that optimism holds. Let, let's hope it does. Uh, Sage, before you wrap wrap it up, uh, Tara, let our listeners know where they can find you and where they can listen to your podcast. Okay, you can find me on Twitter at TCBBIGGS. And then I'm involved with two podcasts. There's the We Have a Take podcast, which you can find on Twitter at We Have a Take, or you can find everywhere you find podcasts. That's uh, me and my friend Cassidy talking about Blazers. And then I have another podcast called The Step Back Sisterhood, which is at Step Back Sisters. And I do that with some uh, other women who are, are fans from different teams around the league. And so we talk league wide. And uh, that's really fun. And you should check that out too. So so thank you so much for having me on. I really, really appreciate the chance to come on and talk with you guys. Thank you for joining us. If you're listening to this, retweet the hell out of the We Have to Take podcast. Get them some, get some them some more listeners. Let's support women in podcasting and women in sports. But if you want to get a hold of us at the Holy Backboard, we're available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Dash Radio, Nothing But Net Radio, Tuesdays, two to three. Pacific, 4 to 5 Eastern. If you listen this far, you're a real one. And we're out of here. We'll see you guys Saturday. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go.